Godzilla vs. Kong. Nomadland. Sound of Metal. Promising Young Woman. Zack Snyder's Justice League. Minari. Oh, and Capone's on there as well. All these and thousands of other films are available on Cinema Paradiso. To claim your 30-day free trial exclusive to listeners of Creaky Chair Film Podcast, go to cinemaparadiso.com and enter the code CREAKYCHAIR21. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Creaky Chair Film Podcast, the show where we discuss all things film, old classics and new releases, from gritty espionage thrillers to Euro spy spoofs, from Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy to 008 Operation Exterminate. Hmm. Never heard of that. Uh, there were others I could have had. This was quite a few. I would just mention Agent 077, Mission Bloody Mary, Dr. Goodfoot and the Bikini Machine, Operation 007, which starred Neil Connery, Sean's younger brother. There we are. Wow, Neil was Neil was grasping for that paycheck there. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'll do anything. I'll do anything. <laughs> I think I think that had an alternate title of like Danger Kid yes. Brother or something. <laughs> At that point, poor Neil must have been thinking, "Oh, I might not have the same career as Big Brother yeah. Sean." Although to be fair, like if my brother was James Bond, I think I'd be like, if I can make some, if I can make a little bit of money out of this, like why wouldn't you? Mm, like, why not? Uh, my name is Michael Brooks. I'm here with my co-host, Bill King and Sam Oliver. Hello. Good to be back as a trio. Oh, so pleased to be back. So pleased to be back in, in your warm digital embrace. Yeah, yeah. I mean, your your uh, little worded statement last week wasn't wasn't too great. Maybe an apology to the listeners and, and Buster Keaton fans and Silent Movie fans and whatnot. <laughs> Genuinely, when I was listening to the episode, that Buster Keaton was just a clumsy man made me laugh so hard. That was really... Really satisfying. But um, yeah, obviously, um, it's kind of annoying as well that I miss out on an episode where I feel like I've had so much to say about Pig. After watching it, I was like, God, the one time. God damn. Thank you, oh, well. Nicholas. Well, you can't because we're talking about Bond this week, so shut up about Pig. Yeah, this week, uh, in light of uh, the imminent release, unless they pull it again of <laughs> at the last minute, can you imagine God. the fragile country just falls to pieces? Um, <laughs> no Time to Die is uh, imminently uh, due to be released, uh, so we are using this monthly special episode to talk all things James Bond, a creaky chair guide to Bond. Uh, so yeah, we've got a lot of ground to cover. We're going to be talking about our favourite films. We're going to be talking about uh, the what we think the worst films are, plenty to choose from, best villains, best action scenes, best gadgets, quips, who we think the best Bond is, and a bit about what the overall legacy of the series is and a bit of general discussion as well. So there is tons to get through. Unfortunately, we are recording too early uh, in the morning for martinis, but we are all in our dinner jackets. So uh... <laughs> <laughs> Right, let's get on. Um, let's start with best song. Something quick and light to get us off. We surely can't. Uh... Oh, that's terrible, isn't it? Get us off. No, I can't say that. Um, well, that's let's... a bond quit right there. <laughs> Yeah, that's perfect, Michael. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Sam, best best Bond song for you. I'd like when we were first talking about this and we're thinking about best Bond song, the one that instantly springs to my mind is Shirley Bassey's Diamonds Are Forever. I think just her lovely voice just belting out the ridiculous phrase Diamonds Are Forever is just I think for me that quintessential Bond theme, because I think they need to be these dramatic, bombastic songs that have a faint air of like ridiculousness to them. And just whenever I close my eyes and think about a Bond song, it's Shirley Bassey blasting out Diamonds Are Forever. It's a 
it's a pure banger. And I mean, Shirley Bassey is kind of synonymous with the Bond theme, isn't she? But mm. of course, it's quite good that you went with that one because the big one that obviously will spring to most people's minds is Goldfinger. And I was, I was going to take issue with this if anyone did mention it because I mean, just look again at the lyrics to Goldfinger. They are woeful. <laughs> they they managed to rhyme Goldfinger with cold finger. <laughs> Beckons you to enter his web of sin, but don't go in. But then that's the perfect, again, it's that perfect level that I think a lot of James Bond things need to have where it's kind of naff, but like beautifully naff and web of sin, don't go in, is like Alan Partridge levels of naff, which is just mwah. A Midas touch, a spider's touch. Yeah, it's, it's that's, that's not bad. That's it. not bad though, is that's it? completely it, yeah. Uh, uh, Bill, best song? Uh, it's got to be Goldeneye by uh, Tina Turner. I just think it's oh. perfect. I just think it's absolutely perfect. It's got it's got the, the lyrics um, as opposed to Goldfinger, actually really good at describing Bond. Um, the title sequence as well, which with all the sickles and hammers and the fall of the Soviet Union, great beat. And then Tina Turner is just dangerous, isn't she? She is just. In fact, you think if she'd have been in a film, she would kill Bond. Like I really think Tina Turner could like actually <laughs> the kill of a voice. every iteration of Bond. Absolutely, she just blast him. So oh, yeah, I think yeah. it's perfect. I think it's such a good song as well. That martini glass would be shattering in his hand as <laughs> Tina Turner's hitting those high notes. Let's give fair credit where it's due. Written by Bono and the Edge. Oh yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. No, nah. I don't think they'd have performed it better than her. But yeah, fair enough. Have they? they, did, they have did they help. ever performed it? Like there is there is a demo you can find on YouTube of Bono singing it, which is all right. I, but it's not. It's not. I just, I just really like the idea of them pitching it and them going like Bono, The Edge. Thank you. We love the song, but <laughs> we aren't going to get you to sing it if that's all right. But we'll take the song. Song's great, but. Special request from Pierce Brosnan. He was said, I, "It has to be Tina Turner, guys. Yeah. Can, we, can we get Tina Turner?" There's not enough room for two Irish egos. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, best song for me, I think it has to be uh, Louis Armstrong. We have all the time in the world. Not only one of the best bomb bomb songs, one of the most perfect songs ever written, in my view. Oh, it's just that is a pretty good choice, actually. Yeah. yeah. Right. Anyway, enough on that. Let's get into bomb best bomb film then. Uh, you can either go best or favourite, either or. Um, so Sam. Well, I'm going get to a, get a swing in with the real basic choice. And I'm making no apologies in how basic a choice it is. But for me, again, if I think about James Bond, I think about Sean Connery. And when I think about Sean Connery, I think about Goldfinger. Like, I just, it's, I think it's a cliche choice, but for a real good reason. It's just everything that I want a James Bond film to be. Like I was watching, I watched it recently. Um, so it's real fresh in my mind as well. And I just would like to break down how iconic and beautifully ridiculous the start of Goldfinger is. So Bond arrives in a wetsuit with this stupid fucking duck, like sellotape to his head. And it looks like they've sped up the footage for some reason as he's swimming. <laughs> he then opens a secret entrance that he knows about in a massive cooling tower, blasts some like, white stuff this sounds very sexual but it is james bond after all blasts some white stuff onto some like very handily labeled nitro barrels sets a timer off takes off a wetsuit to reveal a white tuxedo underneath lights a cig looks at a sexy belly dancer and then an explosion happens behind him it's just absolutely ridiculous but absolutely delightful as well um also we're going to get to some dreadful or amazing James Bond quips later on. But immediately after he's done all of this with his super cool intro, he has one of 
the best James Bond quips ever, where he murders a random baddie who's fallen into a bath by pushing a fan in there and then just goes, shocking, which is incredible. It's just so silly. And it just, I think a lot of Bond films, they're known for their iconic starts. They're known for their kind of like huge, big kind of like suck you in. And I think that Goldfinger has the perfect start of just being really kind of, you're like, this is a spy film. This is fun. He's ice cold and he's going to kill some people that deserve to be killed. Like, it's just, it ticks so many of my boxes. When watching it again yesterday, there was a line that I just wanted to get your guys' thoughts on because it kind of passed me by the first time I watched it. But it's, um, again, quite near the start when he's, again, he's with a lady. Um, I'm going to be doing a lot of Alan Partridge references today, I think. But um, it's where they're lying in bed and they're enjoying a bottle of Dom Perignon 53. And James Bond says, my dear girl, sorry, my dear girl, there are some things that just aren't done, such as drinking Dom Perignon 53 above the temperature of 38 degrees Fahrenheit. That's just as bad as listening to the Beatles without earmuffs. Does that mean that Bond <laughs> hates the Beatles? Obviously. <laughs> it manages it, it manages to be both like misogynist and incredibly stuffy yeah. and old manish. All in one sentence. Yeah, it's just so kind of like, oh, you absolute nerd, James Bond, but also you huge pig. What are you... It's just, again, the perfect encapsulation. But... Do you think that means that James Bond hates the Beatles? Yeah, absolutely hates the Beatles. They're, they're young rock and rollers, anti-establishment, too long hair, um, and, and they're not gentlemen. Of course he does. I think that's one of those things is like, you do realise, I think, when you're watching the Bond films, that you'd think, if I met Bond, I don't think we'd get on. Like, I enjoy, <laughs> I'm entertained by him, but he's like that guy in the pub where you're just like, yeah, I don't really want to get chatting to him for too long because he is a bit of a knob, like, oh, you shouldn't be drinking Heineken like that, Bill. I'd be like, oh, God, shut up, Bond. He'd come back and he was like, he's a bit of a knob, wasn't he, he's, at the Christmas party? He's definitely that kind of person. I know that we all have these kind of friends, but he's definitely the sort of person that you would be like, Oh, he was just telling this story about how, like, he was in a wetsuit with a duck on his head. Like, that is not that's absolute BS. Oh, guy, just he chats so much shit. Like, <laughs> um, but yeah, obviously, Goldfinger has the iconic, not only the iconic odd job with his bowler hat that can decapitate a statue, which again is super cool. Um, it's also got the laser beam scene with Goldfinger, which is just, I think, a lot of really. Set, I think Goldfinger kind of really sets the gold standard, if you'll excuse the pun, for what, for me, a really good James Bond film is. I think Goldfinger as well has so many really cool, like genuinely good, like suave, funny spy moments. Like the whole scene on the golf course with James Bond playing against um, playing against Goldfinger. And he's going to trick him by playing a Schlesinger 7, not a Schlesinger 1, which is just really silly spy stuff that, again, doesn't really make much sense, but it's really fun watching James Bond dick around with a man that loves gold. Um, I think also Goldfinger holds a special place in my heart because it is the first, like, proper Bond film I remember seeing. Because I'm pretty sure I, I probably went to the cinema and saw, like, Tomorrow Never Dies or something around like the 90s kind of Pierce Brosnan era. But I think the first Bond film that I sought out myself and watched kind of on my own time was Goldfinger. So it will always hold a special place in my heart. And yeah, it's just, it's a damn fun film, even if you obviously wouldn't want to have too many drinks with James Bond before going, do you know what? I've got to go meet my friends elsewhere, actually. (laughs) No, I think think you're totally right. I mean, Goldfinger, it is... It set a template, didn't it, for for Bond films, and it is it is 
the the quintessential Bond film. I think it's the film everything else gets measured about, and it, it, it more than I know there was two of the films before it, but it 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 for me invented Bond. Before Doctor No and From mm. Russia with Love were spy films with an interesting, cool character, but Goldfinger kind of established right gadgets. Um, the the Bond yeah. girl was more established. The 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 villain, the the crazy henchman, the quips came the more thick and fast. The car, exactly, yeah. Um, the the scheme was bigger. The the villain scheme was bigger and more outlandish. Yeah. I think there's so much was established in Goldfinger. I think that for me feels more like the first Bond film. If you know if if that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah, like you, Sam, I think uh, Goldfinger was the first film. I cannot remember where how old I would have been, but it's the first film that I can remember seeing and really getting properly into it and just being like sold on the whole thing. Yeah. Right, I'm going to go next. So my my favourite slash the best Bond film for me is Honor Majesty's Secret Service. This is a series anomaly, as I'm sure anyone listening to this will know. Uh, it was the sixth film in the series. It's the first and only appearance as Bond of George Lazenby. Connery had become disenchanted and had left, only to then return for the woeful Diamonds Are Forever. So it was released in 1969, so the end of the decade that Bond as a cultural phenomenon would be a big part in defining, and it didn't perform as well at the box office as the earlier films. It received kind of mixed reviews at the time. However, it's been reappraised considerably ever since, and I think there is a strong case to be made for it being the best Bond film. So I'm going to leave aside George Lazenby for now. Yeah. Everyone brings their A-game to this, and it's been said that in huge part that's due to the sense that without Connery, the production team kind of knew that they had to pull out all the stops, and it really does show. The Swiss Alps locations are spectacular, the ski chases on the slopes are thrilling, the car chase that spills out into a, over into a rally racetrack is excellent, there's the brilliant bobsleigh chase between um, Bond and Blofeld, Blofeld played by the magnificent Telly Savalas. Although he's not the iconic Blofeld of Donald Pleasance, he's, uh, for me, he's definitely the more impressive portrayal. He's both charming and menacing and deadly in a fight all at once. He's got the great villainess in Irma Bunt. And some fight scenes that are just that are directed really tightly by uh, director Peter Hunt. So he was a first-time director, and he'd kind of been promoted up from being the editor of the earlier Bond films. And it's sadly the only one that he would direct, which I think is a bit of a shame. There's also a great scene early on when Bond and M both try and call out one another's bluff with Bond tendering his resignation and then Money Penny intervenes to save them both. It's just a really nice little kind of inattention scene there that I think is very good. The musical score by John Barry is well up there, probably has been one of the best of the series. It captures the sweeping spectacle of the Swiss landscape, the tension of the, of the action, plus, of course, Louis Armstrong, as I've already mentioned. The plot is ludicrous. So, I mean, you know, it's like <laughs> Blofeld from his mountaintop lair is planning to hold the UN to ransom with the threat of biological warfare to be unleashed unwittingly by a group of young women from around the world who have been who have submitted to hypnosis therapy from him as part of what they believe to be treatment for their allergies. And you think there must surely be an easier way of launching germ warfare. Uh, but there we go. In Diana Regis Tracy, this depressed yet headstrong rich girl, we have the first Bond girl who's more than a match for James Bond, while at the same time falling in love with him very convincingly. And you might say, well, what, what about Pussy Galore? Yeah, she's a great character. But I kind of, I, for me, I find it very hard to believe in the romance that develops between Bond and Pussy Galore. I mean, you know, in Goldfinger, what, the destruction in the barn is is highly problematic. Mm. In in On a Majesty's Secret Service, you know, the barn scene is very romantic, very lovely. You totally believe it. 
And, you know, why on earth wouldn't Bond want to fall in love and marry Diana Rigg? It makes perfect sense. Okay, so the elephant in the room, George Lazenby. So Receive Wisdom is a, it's a great film, despite him in the role. And there's a say, oh, if only Connery had done it. And don't get me wrong, I would love to see that version. It would be truly fascinating. But given how bored he appeared in large parts of You Only Live Twice, uh, he probably wouldn't have done this, the more demanding script justice, I don't think. Um, obviously, I'm not going to try and argue that Lazenby was a great Bond. But I think he gets far too much flack. And I actually think he does a very commendable job with this film. The huge sticking point is, and I'm preempting it being raised by one of you, Sir Hilary Bray. The posh English aristocrat that Bond has to pose as to get access to Blofeld. Uh, and while he's at it, obviously seduces several of the girls, of course. Um, and th- there is no way you can picture Connery as Hilary Bray. I mean, for a start, you'd have to have done an English accent. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe, you know, who knows, maybe he would have welcomed the challenge and risen to the occasion, but it is very hard to envisage. The problem for Lazenby is that he's almost too good as Hilary Bray. He's too convincing. And it all comes at a point where you're not really that familiar with him as Bond at all. So to be kind of confronted with this kind of alter ego that is really doesn't play in his favour at all. That said, I think the Hilary Bray character front is good because in what is a rarity for the series, I think it shows Bond actually having to do some proper sleuthing and some proper spying. You know, I fully take on a whole different personality for a considerable stretch of the film, whereas often in the series, he's just, you know, he's posing as a banker called James Bond. You know, there's no real effort really played at this kind of proper spy uh, aspect to it. Lazenby, although he's a bit too cheery at points, he excels in two respects. Firstly, is that he provides the first time when Bond is really shown at his wit's end, about two-thirds of the way in after he's escaped from Blofeld's henchmen. He's lost in that village, and he's, it's like this carnival festival atmosphere. He's lost, he's alone, he's thoroughly despondent. And it's a glimpse at that real depth and dimensionality that, again, it's a struggle to picture Connery embodying that. And you really, you don't see that again until Daniel Craig. Secondly, of course, there's the legendarily devastating ending with Lazenby I think pitches it just right. You know, his his quiet sorrow as he grasps what's happened, his his new wife has has been murdered. A very brave decision to take the film to that place, and it all helps to crown what I think is a tour de force of a film. And um, you know, what other bomb film packs such an emotional punch? Uh, there isn't one. I mean, I know you'll say Casino Royale, but I think the ending of that obviously it goes on. You get a glimpse of redemption here. It's just Bond, you know, holding the only woman he's ever loved in his arms, and there's no catharsis whatsoever. So, you know, to conclude, I think you have to admire Lazenby. I mean, he, he was an unknown Australian model with no acting experience apart from a chocolate advert, uh, having to step into the shoes vacated by Sean Connery. Although, I mean, he, he really made an error in that he sort of let it be known before the film's release that he'd only be doing this one film. And as a result, the studio were very confused as to how they were to market the film. So they didn't really give it the full bells and whistles, led with it being very much James Bond rather than giving him any sort of star billing. Apparently he'd been given the advice that it it was unlikely that James Bond would survive into the 1970s and he should use it as a springboard for his acting career. Now, I'm sure we all recall our our awful uh, careers advice uh, at sixth form at school, but I mean, that really does take the biscuit doesn't it um so that your agent so there we go uh on on managed secret service that's my that's my pick for the best spawn film yeah largely largely agree with you there largely agree with you apart from the hillary bray thing um he was dubbed it was another actor dubbed it so connery could have blatantly just gone and had that stupid voice put oh well i think that that is just ridiculous all that stuff 
Have I not made a case for it? You've made a case. The film's fantastic. The film is fantastic. But, yeah, I, well, well, we'll talk about it when we get to worst Bond actors. Um, and I wonder who uh, I'll Michael, be. I think you've done as admirable a job as George Lazenby does of being Bond, of defending on Her Majesty's Secret Service. I think you've put in the same kind of effort that Lazenby's put in. I feel like you've really... Because it is, I think it's... An, like you said, almost an impossible feat to come on the heels of Sean Connery, who defined the character to try and do something. And I think I do like that on Her Majesty's Secret Service tries to do something totally different still with the ridiculous kind of silly plots that don't quite make any sense. But it is, I don't think it's one of my, it's not one of my favourites, but I do think it is a really kind of, it's one of the better like things, one of the better Bond films out there. And yeah, it's just... A shame that Lazenby isn't as good as he could be. But, for a, you know, I've not done a chocolate advert and I've not been a James Bond, so he's got one up on me. So, All right, Bill, go on then. What is, what is, your, what is your best? Um, best I was, yeah, I was umming and ahhing about this because we had a discussion um, earlier about, like, kind of favourite and best. Um, so it's like, is the best Bond film your favourite film? And in the end, I, I, I think that this mm. is both of them for me. And I chose Casino Royale um, because I think it's... If you removed the Bond character with some slight rewrites, it would still be a great film. Uh, much the same as The Dark Knight is just a great film and you could re- redo it as just this random vigilante. You didn't have to have Batman for it. Um, I think Casino Royale is just a fantastic, fantastic film. Actually just a good film, whilst also being a great Bond film. Can I just clarify, you don't mean the Casino Royale with David Niven. You that's mean the that's exactly the yeah, David Niven one. I just think it's just brilliant. <laughs> The David Niven one, great. Just to clarify. Only Bond film I've not seen. Only Bond film I've not seen, so who knows? Maybe I'm just I'm being unfair. Um yeah, I I I think it's brilliant. And I, I think it does such a wonderful job and it does it had arguably as difficult a job as on a Majesty's Secret Service in this this reinvention, you know, Bond was it suitable for a modern age where action films had, had really moved on? We, we expect a bit more depth from our characters. Is Bond a character that could plumb those depths? Could he actually have, have uh, you know, uh, empathetic uh, reaction from the audience? And Craig proved that, yes, yes, he could. And I just think it's, it's wonderful, the characterization they go into Bond. You really get under his skin, whilst also retaining the stuff we love about Bond. So it does have the quips. It's really funny. It's got the action. It's got the ridiculous plot from the villain. It's got a ridiculous villain, the Bond girls. But it's reinvented, and it's got actual real high stakes. And, yeah, you, you do have an emotional reaction to it. I think the, the card scenes, um, which could have been the most boring part of the film, are actually the most thrilling for me. Like, you're watching this game of poker, and it is nail-biting stuff where he gets poisoned, fantastic, and then comes back with a ridiculous quip. Again, fantastic. Um, the opening chase is just wonderful. I, I love that it's this mix of modern cinema where they brought in parkour, which was, you know, the the the, uh, the rigor, de rigor of the time, and then had Bond just smashing through things and just being clever in order to run this guy down, ends up just chucking his gun at him at one point. And the, the, I have to say, the torture scene, I... I the, the reaction in the cinema um, for, for everyone watching it, it was just so brutal and then so hilarious. Like I, I was laughing my head off along with Bond and I couldn't, I couldn't believe they went as far as they did with that. And, and, and obviously obligatory creaky chair shout out to Mads, a young Mads at this point, And he 
what a villain, what a villain, um, able to be both vulnerable and incredibly dangerous. And it's a villain who is so great because you feel he's pushed right to the edge and he's as desperate as Bond is. So he feels dangerous. Um, and I, I just think he's, he's awesome. Um, and, and there's just so many moments like that where you're just like, I can't really believe they did that. Like the, the it's all set up for a car chase. You see the windy road. It's so well directed by Martin Campbell. Um, it, it, you see the, the wide shot of the car chase in the other car. You see this windy road and you think, all right, this is going to be great. And then it just descends within seconds into this ridiculous stunt and the, the chase scene's over. Um, and again, the reaction in the cinema, I think it's probably one of my favourite stunts in a Bond film. It's just crazy. Um, and I, I just love they were able to do it. Um, we'll talk about who our favourite Bonds are, but obviously bringing in for a debut, um, Craig just just made it his own almost immediately. Um, and I, I just think it's, I think it's pretty perfect. I think it's pretty perfect for me, apart from the theme song. Could have done with a better theme song. Um, and that'd be my only rep- improvement. Yeah, I, I can't remember how it goes either. Who does the Who does the theme song? It's Chris Cornell. Oh yeah, that like damn it. Oh, the audio That's slave right, guy. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Oh, that it's is poor. that it's is poor, trash yeah. actually. Yeah. 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 Mm. I agree with you. And I watched this again recently, um, and yeah, I think it's it, there's long stretches of it that I think are pretty perfect. I think the all the way through the sort of scene. So the first two thirds. The only problem I have is, is the ending the final sort of not even really a third maybe the final quarter so after uh, spoiler alert after Le Chiffre is is killed at that point I'm like oh, it just doesn't quite hang together for me after that it's like all the stuff in Venice it's kind of an epilogue then, isn't it I, I don't yeah it doesn't feel like it feels like it sh- that's a different film and I feel like if they tied it if they wrapped it up a bit differently that would have just been I think that would have been sort of nearing Goldfinger standard for me I think Am I am I remembering it correctly that Mads Mikkelsen's Le Chiffre, like he cries blood sometimes? He does, yeah. I just think like that is something that really sticks with me. Of like, it's such because a lot of we'll get onto it later with villains and so forth, but a lot of Bond villains have such ludicrous affects and like the image of like Blofeld that we mentioned is such a ridiculous kind of super villain kind of a- affect, and for Mads Mikkelsen to be able to be a genuinely like quite believable villain but having a ridiculous affect that he occasionally cries blood just I think is a good testament to how different Casino Royale is and how different the kind of Daniel Craig's are that they have gone right this is what action films are now and this is what cinema's doing now we have to kind of adapt but still work out how we do those James Bond things but in this like new cinematic climate sort of thing and I think the thing that really hangs the nice coat hook for that for me is the fact that Mads Mikkelsen has a ridiculous crying blood affect, but you're still like, no, no, I completely buy that. I completely buy into this, completely believe it. I think that's one of the things that a lot of the other Daniel Craigs have in good spades, which is basically really good actors. Like obviously you've got Eva Green, Daniel Craig, Mads Mikkelsen and Casino Royale. It's just really high caliber of performers bringing some really great performances. You mentioned the uh, the torture scene, uh, which yeah is is brilliant in all the ways that you said. But then it's like it feels like it's then ten minutes later when he's like having some sort of romantic tryst with Vesper, and you're like, oh, are you sure? Just be careful. I don't. <laughs> yeah, like... it does explain why Bond's so happy to have casual possibly unprotected sex because he's definitely yeah he's not having any kids is he after that so oh no uh let's move on to honorable mentions then so which which are the 
which of the which is the film that you kind of think doesn't get as much credit as it deserves or that you get particular enjoyment out of sam so again like i've basically got two choices here one that is me really winding my neck out and one that is a really safe choice so my safe choice um which again i don't think it i think it does get the credit it deserves um, because it is a class film, which is 1995's GoldenEye, the start of Pierce Brosnan's tenure as Bond. And like on a personal level, so like I growing up wasn't the biggest James Bond fan. I like I don't know I don't know what my dad was playing at, probably watching Carry On films, but he wasn't <laughs> introducing me to you know Bond. I don't think it was sort of his thing. So I very much would watch them here and there. And for years, the only Pierce Brosnan one I'd watched was Die Another Day. I had this super negative view of what Pierce Brosnan's Bond was. And I was always like, yeah, I'm not bothered. Like, I won't watch the Pierce Brosnan ones. I'll pick and choose James Bond films. But if they, if Goldeneye is anything like Die Another Day, like, what's the point? So I quite recently, like within the last year or two, watched Goldeneye and was so impressed by it. It's such a great movie. And if anything, makes it all the more kind of upsetting that the rest of the Pierce Brosnan James Bonds do go down on a scale. I think it starts so strong with GoldenEye. It starts so powerfully and then really does, unfortunately, teeter down. But yeah, I just, Sean Bean, that, that, like his character in GoldenEye is fantastic. Um, I really, I'm always, always impressed by Sean Bean when he's doing something that isn't just being from Sheffield. Um, I think GoldenEye is a really great performance. I think it and Robbie Coltrane, obviously his performance in it and Judy Dench, I think it's just a great combination of people. And I think Goldeneye, obviously not to the extreme level that Casino Royale does, but I think it does do a good job of like updating Bond like for the nineties. So it's not quite as extreme as the update that you get for Casino Royale, but it's still like they've kind of gone, right, let's push away a bit from Roger Moore. Let's try and do something new and something that's more reflective of what people are expecting now, but still with fun quips and all the classic James Bond stuff that you expect. Um, And I think I have a real fondness for it because I'd always kind of poo-pooed Pierce Brosnan. So Pierce, if you are listening, which I know you do listen regularly, um, I'd like to apologise for that. Um, And the one honourable mention that I'd like to really wind my neck out for is um, Octopussy. What the Purely because it is trash, but it's so much fun trash. Like, I think (laughs) because I don't really have... uh, I didn't kind of grow up with James Bond films, so I don't have that kind of sense of frustration that Roger Moore kind of took it and just tore it apart a little bit. So I think I can kind of enjoy some of those trashy James Bond films for what they're worth. And Octopussy specifically, because a friend and I did a drinking game whilst watching Octopussy, where you drink at loads of like, when James Bond dresses up as a clown, you take take a drink when he's on a plane, when that guy uses his weird yo-yo saw, when someone's disguised as a crocodile. It's full of absolutely ridiculous things. And as a result, I think it's a really fun movie. Like, it's not a good James Bond movie. He's not doing a good job. It doesn't hold up a, hold a candle to any of the films we've mentioned. But if you want to get G'd up, have a few drinks and, you know, finish your drink when James Bond pretends to be Tarzan, by the end of the film, you're going to reevaluate your stance on Octopussy and be like, do you know what? It's a good, it's a fun time. I can see by Bill's, Bill's actually gleefully nodding and he's giving me, he's holding up a sign that says, whatever I say next isn't true. So 
Bill, please go ahead. No, 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 no. Octopussy is a great carry-on film. Um, mentioned carry-on films. Is that what we're talking about? <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's ca- carry-on Bond, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Carry-on Bond, yeah. So my honourable mention, and I think Sam, I for a long time had the same... I had, had hardly. I didn't grow up watching the Roger Moore Bond films at all, and I, from what I had seen, I did not like at all. Uh, and so, only sort of in the last few years, five or so years, uh, have I kind of re- reevaluated and rewatched some of them. And the film that kind of allowed me to appreciate the merits of Roger Moore's Bond was The Spy Who Loved Me. Yeah. So as with as with Connery, so this is different to to Pierce Brosnan, isn't it? Who really came out of mm. came out of the blocks with a, a storming Bond film, uh, and he never really managed to live up to it. As with Connery, you know, who really hit his stride with his third film, Goldfinger. This is Moore's third outing, and it would be, I think, his definitive high point. So, 1977, directed by Lewis Gilbert. The plot largely mirrors that of You Only Live Twice, but instead of spacecraft being hijacked, it's nuclear submarines. And, you know, the kind of lackluster villain, Carl Stromberg, hopes to create this new Atlantis living under the sea, um, which, which he will rule over in the event of nuclear apocalypse. <laughs> So it's clear that the Bond's transition to the 70s had not been smooth. So the previous three films have been pretty mediocre. I mean, Live and Let Die has its moments, doesn't it? But Diamonds Are Forever and The Man with the Golden Gun had not really been very good. And the box office had reflected that. So this kind of was then seen as like the last throw of the dice for Bond. The producers decided to go big. They built the biggest sound studio in the world at that time at Pinewood Studios. And it resulted, of course, in a huge budget. But by going big, it paid off. It's, yeah, as I've said, I think it's the strongest of the Moore period. It's genuinely entertaining throughout. It dials down the camp tongue-in-cheek aspect that Moore's era was famous for. There's much more successfully achieved suspense. I think particularly, uh, I'm thinking of the sequence in Egypt by the pyramids when Jaws is introduced as a villain. I mean, that is, you know, he's one of the series' most iconic villains, and the way that he's introduced in that way is really quite, quite, quite scary, actually. There's the Lotus Esprit, which is fantastic. The punch the air payoff of the pre-credit sequence with the ski jump off the cliff. Uh, great uh, bongo in Anya. Uh, yeah, I think it's well up there. Spiral of me. Great theme as well. Yes, yes. Is that the one where does somebody wrestle a shark at one point? Am I thinking of the right one? I think there's a bit where they're underwater and there's like little submarines and someone's I like think that's thunderbolt punching a shark. Am I? Have I? Yeah, I think that's thunderbolt. Mate. Oh, okay. I think you're thinking of uh, zombie flesh eaters, actually. <laughs> Oh, sorry. Yeah, my bad. <laughs> yeah, like like um like Goldfinger, Spy Who Loved Me is another one that kind of set a template as well. Like it, uh, it, it it's the best of more. It's yeah, it's Bond sort of distilled and and yeah, it's the best best it could be with more. And it's it's really enjoyable. He's his performance and it's just awesome. Opening sequence ruined a little bit by Alan Partridge, of course, but is <laughs> just great. And uh, yeah, just very very entertaining. I think, if anything, Alan Partridge made me like that film more because I watched the Alan Partridge episode before watching The Spy Who Loved Me. Oh, really? And just that, like, um, when the glang, glang, alang, alang happened, I was like, this is genuinely, I'm enjoying this more than I thought I would because of it's enhanced by Alan Partridge it, rather than ruined. Bill, honourable mention. Um, yeah, mine's, um, mine's from Russia With Love. Uh, which I rewatched um, recently, and I just think it's wonderful. It's a, it's a true Cold War espionage thriller. We talked before about how Goldfinger sort of established, right? This is the way Bond's going to go, um, slightly more um, ridiculous, slightly more outlandish. Um, and this this was the second film, 
and it was at a time where yeah bond was a little bit more subdued and it's it's plotting and it it, it truly is just an espionage thriller and and I, I love it. I love that um, Connery's Bond is sort of been led down the garden path by these agents all the way through. He's, he seems to be a bit out of his depth and not what, know what's going on. It's really tightly um, plotted and and really taut. And and yeah, I just think I think it's excellent. I think um, Connery is matched up really well with Robert Shaw um, as Red Grant. Is you know I I kind of I kind of um, go with villains that actually seem dangerous because so many Bond villains in the films are just ridiculous, and you just think Bond are just why is he threatened by him um, in any way? You know, even the intellectual ones sometimes you just think, come on. Um, whereas whereas Red Grant is just seem like he could take out Connery, and that that fake out the opening where Bond is getting tracked and it's it's a Mission Impossible mask in the end. It's just a training thing for Spectre. But you do think, shit, wow, God, have they recast him already um, when when Robert Shaw takes him out? So, I, yeah, I just think it's it's great. Um, and I think it would... It, it kind of more fits in with with the Craig Bonds as well. Um, you know, it kind of it kind of goes with that line of this is this is, you know, a, a serious world, this is a serious man in it. Um and I think it's all the better for it. I, I, I just think it's it's got so many sequences that are wonderful with the the ridiculous action that you love from a Bond film, thinking the boat chase and the, the train fires mm. is, is stands out. And it's also got um Cleb who's got that um that pointy shoe as well who genuinely terrifies me because how do you fight that? Like she just kicks you once, you're done. Um, yeah, again, I, she she could handle herself. You, you felt worried for Connery at times in that film. So yeah, that's my honourable mention from Russia with Love. It's so it's not as for some reason it's not as celebrated as other Bond films. I think it's because it's not as typical. Um, but yeah, I urge people to check it out. I think you'll have a good time with it. Yeah, solid. And that, that yeah, that train fight scene is well up there for that. Oh. Yeah. Amazing, amazing. I mean, I like any film that's got a train in it, so it's already ticking a lot of my boxes. In my... <laughs> All right, uh, for this next section, we're going to rattle through some uh, uh, some favourites. Uh, so we'll start off with who you think your favourite villain is, the best villain and or henchman. I mean, we briefly mentioned the Daniel Craig's, and I was talking about how there's some really great actors. So I think one of the one of my favourite villains from that era, especially, is Silver in Skyfall, played by Javier Bardem, who, again, like Bill was saying with From Rush With Love, I think he presents such a genuine threat and such a real kind of like proper cool villain that not only do you enjoy and feel like he is a, like a, a good villain, also feels very threatening, also feels very dangerous. And I think has one of the coolest entrances in probably any James Bond film where James is sitting at the end of the room and he just slowly walks towards this like one unbroken camera shot as Javier Bardem's doing a big monologue, just walking slowly towards the camera. I just think it's absolutely ice cold. I really, really like it. And I think as well, it's just a really great actor doing a really great job with a cool villain, which is kind of what you need for a good James Bond film. Good villain played by a good actor. Yeah, and I mean, often... Frustratingly, some of the best villains played by the best actors are in the worst films. Uh, yes. So, mm-hmm. obviously, Scaramanga, Christopher Lee. But then Zorin as well. Zorin, played by uh, Christopher yeah, Walken. Zorin. Oh. Mm-hmm. Elliot Carver in Tomorrow Never Dies. Yes. Uh, Dangerous. I like, and I know this will get into uh, some disagreement, yeah. no doubt. But I think Fran Sanchez, played by Robert, Robert Davi. 
from License to Kill is a very good villain. He, he, you know, it goes to the heart of why License to Kill is divisive because it it was Bond, the Bond film, going in a different direction. It feels like kind of like a sort of drugs heist in Miami. In Miami, uh, it's quite gritty. It's a gritty sort of eighties thriller sort of thing. And he is really good in that. He's like a very believable drug lord. You really feel like he could do some serious harm. Well, he does with some sharks. Oh, sharks again! They're back. Yeah. So they Fran Sanchez for me. Yeah, he does some serious damage with sharks if you've not seen that one, Sam. Like, real bad damage to somebody. Maybe that's the one where I'm imagining the wrestling sharks. Maybe I've combined. Yeah, yeah, there is a wrestling match and someone loses. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, so I've already mentioned him. I'm going to get two very quickly. So, yeah, I do think Red Grant is probably the best villain for me. Um, genuine danger. You do think Shaw could get Connery, and he does a bit in the train fight. It's only from a little bit of trickery from uh, Connery he gets away with it. Um, it's so brutal. I also love that he gives himself, he's got, he puts on such a wonderful um, posh English accent that immediately makes him seem a little bit more weedy, even though you can tell he's proper ripped. Um, and then gives himself away by uh, drinking the wrong wine with fish, which is just so Bond. Yeah. So Bond, isn't it? Like, again, you really wouldn't get on with him, would you? Him raising his eyebrows when you're drinking red wine. Um, but my favourite, again, and uh, Michael's points of um, good villains in... Uh, I don't think this is an awful film, by the way, but less 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 impressive films is Dr. Kaufman in uh, Tomorrow Never Dies, who is a German doctor who is an expert assassin who is sent to try and fake um, Bond's suicide. And uh, they have a really wonderful discussion in the hotel room. And he's, he's such a good character actor that kind of brought in. And uh, Bond's talking to him about the angles. And he says, you know, if you shoot me from here, it won't look like a suicide. He says, please, Mr. Bond, I could shoot you from Stuttgart and still create the proper effect. <laughs> Sit down on the bed, yeah? And it's just it's just wonderful. And then they can't get into their, um, Bond's car. They can't break in. And uh, the uh, stamper's assistant phones him. He's like, oh, this is so embarrassing. Mr. Bond's can't open the car and it's wonderful it's two professionals talking and the quip ends i'm just a professional doing my job and it's really wonderful he's he's so outlandish um whilst also really confident and creepy um i, I just think he's brilliant and again it's probably biased because um tomorrow never dies is the first film a bond film i remember seeing um i think i rented it blockbuster with my cousins and uh i just found that scene absolutely hilarious in what's quite a dark scene as well you know he's he's just shot paris um the lovely terry hatcher and um and yeah i just think i think he's he's absolutely perfect bond henchman and really stands out and it's just such a funny dark scene um which which is bond for me distilled and yeah it, it really stuck with me I, th- I think he's wonderful dr kaufman rest in peace also in in terms of henchmen i just would like to give a quick shout out to um jaws but in space in moonraker i really enjoyed that <laughs> our return of a really great henchman in a ludicrous setting that was that was a real pleasant surprise <laughs> Was it a surprise what happened with that plot point? Like, I'd say that, well, that kind of ruined Jaws for me, that turning him to, what the fuck went on with that film? It's a comedy character. Oh, utterly ridiculous. We are proud that support for Creaky Chair Film Podcast comes from Cinema Paradiso, the indispensable subscription medium for the discerning but choice-saturated cineast. That is a lot of needlessly fancy words. This isn't sight and sound, mate. 
Sorry, I was just trying to be a bit highbrow, you know, for the film fans. He is right, though. It is, it is a bit much. Let me let me have a go. We are proud that support for Creaky Chair Film Podcast comes from Cinema Paradiso. It's great and has films. Say that's too far the other way now. Gotta, gotta find a happy medium. Come on then, you do it. Support for Creaky Chair Film Podcast comes from Cinema Paradiso, the must-have film subscription service that lets you create the list of films you want to see. All right, that's yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty good, actually. I'll give you some more, then. Cinema Paradiso makes it easy to buy or rent movies online, wherever you are, whenever you like, and whatever you fancy. From beloved Hollywood classics like Casablanca and Singing in the Rain, to cult classics like Razor Titanic, the best film about Titanic, and Revenge of the Nerds. Cinema Paradiso has hundreds of thousands of films to choose from. And the thing is, it's simple. All you do is create a list of all the films you want to see, and Cinema Paradiso send you out the disc, you watch it, you send it back, you get another. And with the promo code CREAKYCHAIR21, that's CREAKYCHAIR with capitalised C's, you get a 30-day free trial to enjoy all that Cinema Paradiso has to offer. That's promo code CREAKYCHAIR21 for an exclusive 30-day trial. Get on it. Oh, I knew we'd get there in the end. Congrats. That's a good lead-in, then, I suppose, to uh, talking about the worst Bond film. What do you think? Here we go. So, Sam, let's go around. What, what do you think the worst Bond film is? I mean, there are. there's a lot of there's a lot of trash. I mean, and I've also I've championed Octopussy, which is ultimately <laughs> trash. Um, but I think... For me, the thing that really, and we've mentioned it with Max Zorin, but A View to a Kill, I just found so, so thunderously disappointing. I think like Christopher Walken and Grace Jones deserve so much better and could have given so much better than what A View to a Kill is. It's, again, another ridiculous Bond plotline, you know, um, a microchip developed by Zorin Industries is going to survey, you know, blah, 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 electromagnetic radiation, KGB, blah, 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 etc. And I just think when I was going through and watching loads of Bond films, I think the idea of there being a Christopher Walken villain accompanied by Grace Jones, I was super duper excited about it. And it was just such a disappointment. I think when you sit down and you watch something like Moonraker or you watch Octopussy, you're kind of prepared for that level of like, oh, that sounds ludicrous. This is you kind of steal yourself. You kind of get ready for some, it to be disappointing. Um, but a view to a killer had that vague glimmer of hope, which I think is the worst thing to have when watching a terrible film. Um, just Roger Moore's getting on too old, and these two wonderful like presences just are nowhere near used. I think that whenever I think about rubbish Bond, a view to a kill just still. Makes me so sad. The wasted potential of of that of that film. Yeah, absolutely. And Moore is just far too old by that point, isn't he? Far too (laughs) old. Um, I mean, the thing is, so with Moonraker, which I watched again recently, it's kind of it's too ridiculous to be a bad bomb film. It's just it's so crazy. It's it's Mm. sort of redeems itself in that way. Um, So I I kind of when I think about the worst, I kind of my mind sort of goes to like. I don't know, Quantum of Solace, for example, which I remember being very angry about when I left the cinema, but I've not seen it since, and I I cannot remember why I was so angry with it at the time. It's just it's too forgettable. The Man with the Golden Gun, terrible though it is, I don't think any film that has Christopher Lee as the villain, and that phenomenal cast can truly be the worst. 
So I don't think that can count. So I'm going to go for what I think, the truly dreadful Fioros only. 1981, the 12th in the series, Roger Moore's fifth outing. Already he looks too old at this point. It's incredible to think that he's still got another two Bond films to go. <laughs> at this point. So it's the, the producer's response to, to the outlandish Moonraker and trying to ground the series in reality again, which was obviously a wise decision, but the result is just this plodding, dull, uninspired mess with barely anything to recommend it. The plot is a tired mix of From Russia With Love and Thunderball. The villain, Christatos, yeah, who, I, I, who, who is completely and utterly forgettable. The heroine who's out to avenge her parents' murder is completely unconvincing and also far too young for Moore's Bond at this point. And even worse is the insufferable American teenage ice skater who tries to seduce Bond. I mean, it's just woeful. The action sequences are overlong and just shrug-inducing. The pre-credit sequence where Bond is terrorised by and then turns the tables on a bad guy in a wheelchair who bears more than a little resemblance to Blofeld before then dropping him down a gasworks chimney is just pathetic. It bears no relation to the rest of the film. And this conjecture that it's like some sort of riposte to the fact that the producers had lost the rights to the character of Blofeld. But it's really jarring and it sets the film off on a completely wrong foot. And for me, the icing on this cake of turds is the ending where they make the preposterous decision to include an impersonation of Margaret Thatcher and her husband Dennis in a way that is just is not funny and not clever and just I just yeah <laughs> really turned me off. Your eyes only. Um, yeah, well, I wasn't going to mention this, um, and it's not the worst film, but I just do need to say, Octopussy is bobbins like. <laughs> It is bobbins. I'm just gonna just gonna list some stuff I hate about it. Bond as a clown getting laughed at by kids. Bond as a gorilla. Bond doing Tarzan yell. And I'm aware that's the stuff Sam loves about it. But it's a pastiche. It's just got a stupid name, stupid plot. And Stephen Burkov, who I really like as an actor, is just ridiculous in it. So yeah, Octopussy, bobbins. But the actual worst film for me um, is Die Another Day, and it's a real shame because Brosnan. I think. I think could have been a great bond he just his, his later films just didn't didn't serve him well and this one and it, i think it was like was this like the 21st anniversary or something it was it was a landmark film um for for bond and it feels like it was done by a focus group it really feels studio like they're like oh it has to have these ingredients and it has all the bond stuff but the plot doesn't hold together the characters don't and it's just awful it just feels really cynical it's 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 it, and it's not well executed either like they're like oh let's have bond surf and they put in these awful cgi in there and it's just it's just woeful there and then they're like oh let's let's give him um you know aston martin came back for this this film and it's great and that should be in celebration and what they do to this beautiful looking aston martin vanquish they call it the Aston Martin Vanish, and it's invisible. So you get this beautifully designed Aston Martin with all this cool shit on it, and then it turns invisible. What a dreadful decision. Like, that is just a terrible idea. That is a terrible idea. Like, it, and then the same with the, the actors. They've got um, Toby Stevens, Rosamund Pike, Hal Berry. Great actors um, that have gone on to do wonderful stuff, and they are completely wasted in these one-dimensional awful characters um and yes a good actor shite film john cleese as q as well yes yes john cleese john cleese comes in uh, replacing uh, desmond lowell as q and yeah god oh. good ideas in there that uh, bond bond starts off getting tortured and emerges um bearded and bedraggled um and is involved in a spy swap 
Um, Michael Madsen's in it. I forgot he's in it as well as a CIA, CIA guy. Um, but then again, that that plot point's just dropped um, completely. There's no Skyfall would do it far better about a Bond trying to get back up to the top. It's it's just dropped. He goes to Cuba, smokes some cigars, and then it's top of his game again. Um, and then also, let's just let's just say it, Madonna. Uh... What the motherfucking Christ were they thinking? The song is shite. And like, I'm saying this about like, there's some dreadful Bond songs out there, but that. <laughs> what the hell? What the hell is that? What the hell is that, Madonna? And I'm a Madonna fan. I think she's wonderful, but that was. And then she decides to act. She decides to act as this fencing instructor. And I I was quite young when I watched this, but I did consider getting up and leaving at that point because she is just, will you tie me up, man? Oh, my God. Like, you can <laughs> see the embarrassment in Pierce Brosnan's eyes where he's like, you know what? I'm glad. I'm glad this is going to be my last one because I have got to get out of here. Yeah, well done for Daniel Craig taking the part because, Christ. Yeah, die another day. I don't know if this story is true, but I remember reading somewhere that apparently after seeing Dying of the Day, um, Roger Moore said to Pierce Brosnan, um, that's the stupidest thing I've ever seen. And I did Bond in space. (laughs) 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 Which, to be fair, coming from Roger Moore, you'd be like, I've really fucked this, haven't I? Like, Roger clown suit Moore, and you're like, all right, yeah, fucked it. (laughs) Oh, God. Again, like Dying of the Day is the reason why I think I I parred off so many Bond films. It was so like, I was like, is this what a James Bond film is? They're, they're running away from the fucking sun in an ice palace? Like, nah, I'm done. Oh, God. Oh, God. Okay, oh, let's let's redeem ourselves. Best best gadget and, or, and vehicle. I, I should say, I think the Aston Martin DB5 is disqualified for obvious reasons. Yeah, I can't have that. Sam? Is it in Tomorrow Never Dies where he has that remote control BMW where he's kind of like controlling the... That's really cool. I thought that was a really great idea. I think because so many of the Bond films, they're like, here's this really cool car. And like, obviously, Aston Martin with its ejector seats and all the fun cars throughout the film. I thought that was a really fun kind of... Ooh, that's a nice kind of subversion of that idea of, you know, they all drive the, the cars really well and have all these cool car chases. I thought remote control was a really fun way of doing it. I also, we mentioned it earlier in From Russia With Love, but that dagger shoe is, I think, one of the most intimidating and just like really bluntly basic gadgets in any kind of like James Bond film. It was quite sharp, actually. (laughs) You walked into that. I I walked straight into that one, yeah. Um, But I just think like, yeah, there's obviously all the ridiculous stuff. Like I really like all the bits in... The in those like more ludicrous James Bond films where they pan across everyone testing things like the um that ghetto blaster they have in one of the Roger Moore ones where it's like somebody holding a big boombox and it blasts out some like explosions or I think it's in the world is not enough where you see somebody playing the bagpipes and it turns into a flamethrower like they're really fun and they're super ridiculous but I think it's stuff like that like the remote control BMW which is a silly idea but highly effective when it's used in the film or like the dagger shoe which is a really simple concept but again like really a genuinely like it, it it gets into your head and you're like oh yeah it's actually a really sick idea i'm gonna put loads of daggers in my shoes <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm gonna also go for in terms of best gadget uh i'm gonna go for something from from russia with love uh and the attache case because it's Ooh. so practical. You know, you need a case for traveling anyway, oh, don't you? So you might yes. as well have one that has pop-out knife, smoke canisters, hidden coins. It's just, yeah, perfect yeah. sort of spy accoutrement. Yeah. 
best car. I mean, yeah, we're not talking about the Aston Martin DB5, but actually, if you think about it, an ejector seat is pretty useless, really, isn't it? Like, and, it, and it, the Aston Martin's it's, not even really that used that effectively in the in Goldfinger, is it? It's just um, it doesn't really seat, serve him very well. The ejector seat is used very effectively in Goldfinger because that man has a gun, <laughs> has a gun, has a gun trained on James Bond, and he thinks, do you know what? I've got a good idea for here: ejector seat. Blam! Yeah. But then they have that really great reverse shot where. The guy literally just goes like over the car, then lands really safely. And I was like, "Oh, I thought he'd get blasted like to the moon." But he just kind of goes like, Wee! and comes yeah. on the side. So you know, why have an ejector seat when you can have? I'm going to go back to the spy. Love me a Lotus Esprit and a, the amphibious car. You know, oh, yeah. periscope on the roof, limpet mine dispenser, radar guided missiles, cement sprayer. I mean, the car must have weighed a ton, but it's brilliant. <laughs> it's gonna, sink. it's gonna sink. Yeah, those those guided missiles were sick. Um, yeah, I'd, similarly to Sam, I really love the remote control BMW. I think that's a really well executed gadget as well. Also, Pierce Brosnan are quite good gadgets because I really re- enjoy the ridiculousness that in Goldeneye, um, and this always happens in Bond, he gives him a pen that if you click it a certain number of times, it explodes. But then Boris, one of the villains, just happens to have this affectation that he loves flicking clicking a pen um so that was lucky wasn't it bond like he was just given this specific gadget and then you know i've never met anyone that does that but bond just happens to bump into a random baddie russian that does that (laughs) i think my my favorite vehicle is um i i think in the living daylights the uh the aston martin v8 volante it's it's beautiful car that and a really cool um scene i just i just i love the look of it it looks genuinely cool um and yeah, for Dalton's finest moment, um, yeah, all the gadgets on that was really cool, really cool. All right, let's get into best action scene, Sam. Oh, God, where to begin? Um, I think a lot of them we've already kind of, we've mentioned a few of them, obviously the, that incredible parkour chase um, at the start of Casino Royale is great. And I think like Bill was saying, does a really great job of introducing you to the character. And I think that combined with that great black and white bit in the bathroom at the start of Casino Royale, where it's just James Bond smashing loads of people into sinks, combined with him like blundering around, throwing his gun at a guy in a parkour chase is just a perfect action scene and a great like introduction to like, okay, this is the guy that we're dealing with. This is what's going to happen here. This is who we're, who we're looking at. Um, I think a lot of the openings are really, really solid. The opening of The Spy Who Loved Me is really, really solid. I also remember being genuinely impressed by the um, that massive truck chase in License to Kill. I think that was a real... I remember watching that and being kind of like, not blown away by the film, but I think that specific scene I found, I was like, oh, right, this is genuinely thrilling. This is a genuinely great action film, action scene, sorry. And also finally, just a shout out to the ludicrous slide whistle in The Man with the Golden Gun when he does that, like, barrel jump. Because it's a genuinely, like, incredibly cool stunt. impressive stunt. And, like, get rid of that slide whistle, and that is a genuinely impressive stunt. But add the slide whistle in, and he's like, why? This is, like, you've, you've, made, you've made this incredible, amazing, like, car stunt that's genuinely, like, must be absolutely pant-wettingly terrifying to do and then completely ruined it with a comical well that's the film in a nutshell isn't it i mean that is but yeah poor roger poor roger uh yeah i mean you you've gone for the one of the ones that i was going to pick out sam i think yeah the climactic uh big oil tanker chase in license to kill on the Mm. winding clifftop roads yeah fantastic and the way it ends up with uh bond and uh sanchez 
Sancho's been set alight. I think that's a great way to end. Um, also, uh, probably I think the one that I think really sticks in my mind is the pre-credit sequence of Goldeneye culminating in that breathtaking bungee jump off the Lugano Dam. I think that's just beautifully shot, and it's just pure excitement, pure adrenaline. Bill? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's a few I was thinking about in this. I mean, the thrill of the ninjas all rappelling down and attacking the hollowed-out volcano in uh, you only live twice. Fantastic. Um, I, I also, in a, in a pretty shit film, I really enjoyed the opera fight scene in um, Quantum of Solace. I thought that was probably the one bit of the film I really enjoyed. It was really well directed and quite brutal. But my favourite is um, the gypsy camp attack in um, from Russia with Love, which is I'm not talking about the troubling scene beforehand when <laughs> two ladies fight each other and Bond's sitting back entertained. That's not the bit I'm thinking. But Loughborough on a Friday night, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, see, that's too close to reality for me. Um, but no, this is the scene where um, a bunch of mercenaries attack the um, the gypsy camp and um, Bond's fighting them off, but um, sniping from a hidden tower is Red Grant, and he's protecting Bond. He uh, shoots the guy that's about to knife him, and it's one of the few times Connery is confused and looks looks a little bit worried. Because, and you are as the audience, because you're like, why the hell is this villain protecting Bond? What the hell's going on here? And I just, I just love that. It's got a great soundtrack as well. It's, it's chaos. It's one of those times you don't really get it in modern films anymore, where they seem to just be able to do whatever the hell they wanted with extras. Um, and there's just, I'm pretty sure some people are just like exploding and go flying every which way you know a horse runs through people it's just chaos it feels like a how a proper fight would actually go it doesn't feel particularly well choreographed it's just people just running around belting each other but whilst all this is going on there's this little chess game going on between uh, bond and red grant and uh, I, I remember the first time i saw it when i was when i was younger i was just like what the hell why is he on bond's side and and yeah connery connery looks a little bit uh Shaken, but not stirred. Not stirred, I'd say. Not stirred at all. Um, I also just would like to give a special shout out to. I don't know if you know. I've in all of nearly all the Roger Moore ones, especially when like he's getting a bit on in years. Roger Moore's signature move in fight scenes seems to be to kick people in the literal arse. I don't know if you've noticed, <laughs> but like as I watched them all like like relatively recently, and it just feels like in every single one, at some point, he's like isn't fighting very well, but then kick someone like just up the bottom and they're like, oh, and then fall over. So um, shout out to Roger, Roger Moore's very unique fighting techniques. Right. Let's move on. Uh, best quip, Sam. Um, I made a list of a couple of my favorite ones. Oh, again, in Moonraker, I think he's attempting re-entry is really so so stupid (laughs) but it makes me do the combination of smiling whilst also rolling my eyes which i think is kind of what i want from a lot of um my james bond quips um i mean that as well is very similar to the um just keeping the british end up in the spy who loved me as well um but i i mean i mentioned it at the start with goldfinger but um when he knocks that electric fan into the bath and that guy gets electrocuted to death and he just goes, shocking, positively shocking, <laughs> is really, really solid gold. It's I think it's it's such a good kind of like very stupid and obviously the classic James Bond thing of like you would not do that in real life, but you like the idea of having the wherewithal to come up with a funny thing to say after you've murdered someone. Um, and then just finally, sorry, all of mine have been weirdly sexual. 
Um, a lot of them are. But they are, yeah. It's James Bond after all. Uh, but Bill, you mentioned the torture scene in Casino Royale. And it's not really a quip, but James Bond screaming, the whole world's going to know you died scratching my balls is probably one of the, ba- <laughs> the best lines in action cinema history. But specifically for a James Bond film, it's just, oh, absolutely beautiful. So less of a quip, more of just a statement of fact, really. Okay, I'm going to go for something from Moonraker, where which just gets me... Uh, every time, even just thinking about it, um, it's when he's been told to meet a Dr. Goodhead, who, of course, turns out to be a beautiful woman. And Roger Moore's eyebrow raised reaction. Oh, a woman. Coupled with the other one that I particularly like uh, from, as I've already said, terrible film, Diamonds Are Forever. Uh, Bond has been interrupted by henchman mid-trist with a with a woman called Plenty O'Toole, which I mean is just Austin Powers couldn't really do better than that, could he? Um, and uh, Bond wryly remarks, "I'm afraid you've caught me with more than my hands up." <laughs> <laughs> um, similarly, for, for, I just remembered from uh, from Diamonds Are Forever again, woeful film, but yeah, this this quip again, first time Bond is introduced to Plenty O'Toole, and he says. Named after your father, perhaps, <laughs> which, which, which is one of the ones where I always remember watching it and um, watching it with my dad and like my dad laughing, but me not getting it because um, I was too young. But yeah, very good. But my my favourite quip, um, and uh, again from a pretty pretty bad film, um, is um, from Piers Brosnan in World Is Not Enough, and it's more about just where the quip falls because. Um, does something a bit different. It's it's like towards the end of the climax of a ski chase, and Bond um, kicks a snowmobile over the uh, the side of the ledge, and it's going to its depth. And here comes the quip. He just says, "See you back at the lodge." And you think, "Ah, oh, cool. That's the end of that chase." Only for the uh, snowmobile to um, open a parachute and turn into like this some sort of helicopter thing and chase Bond. And you just see Bond's happy with that quip, little smirk. And then when he sees that parachute come up, he looks genuinely a little bit miffed, um, which I really enjoy that, you know, he's not been able to have that great quip. Um, same as well with, um, I think it happened in Skyfall where Bond, uh, Bond knifes a bad guy. And it's like, he's just come through some, falling through some ice. He's like, sorry, got caught mm. on some thin ice or something. Um, and then is a bit miffed when it realizes Judy Dench is in trouble. I, I like it when Bond's quips don't fully land because it feels a bit realistic because in real life, you've not got time to make those quips um, and you can't be saying them at an opportune moment. So I like it when the rug's pulled under him a little bit. It serves him right, this smug bastard. I'm, I'm <laughs> waiting for, maybe this will happen in no time to die. And if it does, you heard it here first. But I'd really like for James Bond to be making a quip after a murder in some kind of like big fight scene. And then somebody's like, what? Sorry, what did you say? And he has to repeat it. But obviously the moment's passed. So it's very, yeah. it's not funny. And the person gives a very like, uh, reaction. And then I, <laughs> that's what I'm waiting to see. That's, or he thinks of one like a day later. It's like, oh, why didn't I use that? They can do like a they can do like a Marvel they can do like a Marvel movies post credit scene where it's like James Bond just like having some coffee the day after the film finishes, and he's like, oh, oh there yeah. it is. That's what I said. Damn it! Right, let's get into the let's get into the contested territory. Then we've been very pleasant and civil so far, but let's get into the, where I think there may be some disagreements. So, best and worst Bond. Now, I'm quite confident we can all say that Sean Connery is pretty untouchable. But Sam, where are you where are you leaning? Again, I've already put my stall out on the Sean Connery mountain. I think when I think about James Bond, if I'm, you know, was putting together a 
a picture book of J is for James Bond, the picture I would have would be Sean Connery. I think not only obviously, obviously he has the benefit of being the very first person to portray the role, um, but I'll and set the kind of like template. And I really like what a lot of other actors have done with the James Bond role. I think Pierce Brosnan made the role his own. Roger Moore did something different with it. And, you know, Daniel Craig's kind of like new grittier interpretation is really solid as well. Um, But for me, I think Sean Connery is my absolute fave. Uh, Yeah. I'm going to give a little bit of a shout out to... Lazenby. (laughs) (laughs) I've already done that. I've already already given George my time. Um, And listeners can make their own minds up. Um, I'm going to give a bit of a... Give a bit of recognition to Timothy Dalton. Underrated, overlooked. He really needed to do one more. It's a real shame that, that things conspired to mean that he, he didn't manage to do his third. Maybe he would have, you know, he would have hit his stride on the third film like Moore and Connery did. Um, I think he's in, I think he's in, in got this intensity and he he took the role back to the Fleming characterization. He preempted Daniel Craig uh, in terms of giving him some more, some more depth, some more intensity, and yeah, I think I like I like Dalton. I like him a lot. Are you saying he's better than Craig? Timothy Dalton's better Bond than Daniel Craig? No, not necessarily. No, I don't. No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying better or or worse. I'm just saying he deserves some recognition that he does not ordinarily get. And I just can't about you know. I I would love to have seen Dalton do Goldeneye. I really would. Pierce Brosnan for me, I I don't. Know, he's he's very much all quips and no substance for me. And I, I sort of think of it as like if Connery's the Beatles, Brosnan's Oasis. And he's <sighs> he's a very much a he's a computer game hero. Like the N sixty five was the biggest sort of computer game, wasn't it? And uh, it's like, the N sixty four, Michael. N sixty four. Sorry, I was always a PlayStation man. Oh. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, he's the computer game. Is more or less Pierce Brosnan, isn't it? Really? Jesus, I don't think that's fair at all. I just think he was let down, like like more, like Dalton. I'd argue was let down by his films. Um, uh, yeah, I think uh, so. Connery, quintessential Bond for me. He is he is Bond, but I think Craig is a better Bond because I think he does more than Connery does. Um, I think he does he does most of the stuff Connery does, but he also does loads more with it as well. Um, and I, I think he's pretty perfect. I don't think he's got a downside for me. Like he's, he's proved in, in later films, he can even do the quips and actually make them quite believable, which was the only thing kind of missing from Casino Royal, even though it's very funny, there wasn't enough of those quips. Um, but he's, he's proved in later films. And I would preface this as saying like, we'll see like if no time to die is utterly shit then that will lessen it because you know right now he's got he's got casino royal and skyfall which are both great films but then um quantum and specter which aren't so it's gonna it's gonna tip the balance somewhere um a little bit there but then connery had a lot of guff as well in his um repertoire mm. like thunderball is awful um diamonds are forever is awful and then are we talking about never say never again i know it's not a eon licensed production but good christ Good Christ, that's a bad film. So yeah, I'd, I'd say I'd say Craig is on yeah. the cusp for me. Um, we'll see how No Time to Die goes. Um, and uh, yeah, I just think I think he's wonderful. He's 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 brilliant, absolutely brilliant, very convincing. So this yeah goes to a, a key question, I think. Uh, so the three longest standing bonds, Connery, Moore, and Brosnan, all left the role on a bum note. Diamonds Are Forever, Beautiful Kill, Die Another Day. So as you as you hint at, Bill, if Daniel Craig manages to buck that trend and leave on a high point, 
what do we think that will mean for the future of the series? Will the audience clamour for someone new to fill his shoes be quite there? I mean, I feel like, it, 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 like you said, it entirely depends. If No Time to Die is very successful and is like critically and commercially very well received, then inevitably they're going to get someone new in, do something different and like move the franchise on forward. I don't think necessarily that if it does really badly that that'll be the death knell for James Bond. But I do think like it's not necessarily running out. It, I think something new is going to need to happen if No Time to Die doesn't work. I think, I don't know what that thing is, but I think like you mentioned, all of those ones ending on a bum note, they then had to kind of go, right, let's either take it back to basics or like let's reinvent it or let's try something a bit different. So I think there's a lot resting on Daniel Craig's very muscular shoulders at the moment. I'd argue it's it's more risky if dying, um, sorry, No Time to Die is amazing because then they're like, right, what do we do here? Because Craig's been so successful at reinventing it and if this film is is a real rousing high point, they're going to be, they're, I think they're going to be a bit stuck. I think it's going to be difficult and I don't envy them. They will have to do something different and there is this talk, you know, it's, it is it is time for a, a, a BAME bond, which I, I agree with, but I don't think it should just be stunt casting. They need to get the right actor on that one. I'd, I'd, I'd argue, yeah, just do it again. Go with an unknown. Um, you know, I think go with someone with no badge, um, baggage, you know, someone someone who's who's just, just breaking through. Um, doesn't necessarily need to be young Bond again. It doesn't need to be Bond starting out again. Do, do something different, but um, yeah, go with as much boldness as they went with casting Craig because Christ I remember when Craig was first cast everyone was like saying oh my god he's blonde he's got blonde hair James Blonde was like the Daily Mail thing and then uh, people were comparing him saying oh he looks more like a Russian henchman people were like annoyed that he was so muscular and then he comes out the sea and well the cinema I was in basically just turned bisexual everyone was just like four all right um you know and so it's, it's patently ridiculous when you look at where bond is yeah. now a national treasure he's been um he's uh, sorry craig's now a national treasure he's been inducted into the royal navy he's been given honorary rank of commander i saw the other day like james bond's rank which is just stupid but yeah fine um but you think back to those 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 days when he was first cast you just think right well do it again then do it again um go with someone that's going to get the the, the tabloids going oh my god what have they done and um, get them to prove it wrong because yeah that'll create the furor around it and that'll get the interest going I think um, rather than going with a safe choice Michael Fassbender who'd be great but absolutely no. I think I think I would like anyone that's going to make the Daily Mail angry to be cast as new James Bond that's that's all I need from a new James Bond is someone that's going to make the Daily Mail readers spit out their lukewarm tea over their morning papers someone Polish <laughs> Before we get into talk about legacy and final thoughts and things like that, I, I wanted to just ask you something that's often bothered me, especially when I was younger. And this is probably just thinking too much into it, but it is something that that just has always bugged me a little bit. That is Bond meant to be one and the same guy, or is it just a moniker that all these different men assume? Because like the Daniel Craig films have, act, have like acted as a bit of a reset, haven't they? But prior to that, it was like sort of purposefully ambiguous, wasn't it? It's was like there's all these references to his murdered wife in. Fiora's only and license to kill but it's like quite obviously apart from the age and the health issues if he'd foiled any all these evil plots to destroy the world would he not be world famous and that leads on to another ambiguity that i think is curious that sometimes in these bond films people respond to him as if he's some kind of like celebrity 
which is surely a complete failure for a supposedly anonymous spy. <laughs> I, I worry that perhaps the good people at Eon haven't put as much effort into thinking about this as you have, Michael. I feel like, well, that's not acceptable. I feel like perhaps they've kind of gone. Wouldn't it be funny? Wouldn't it be funny here if everyone recognised him? Wouldn't it be good here if we? Oh, remember his dead wife? Let's talk about that. Like, I, I feel like I always assumed that it was just. I couldn't quite ever square away the idea of like why he was always called James Bond, but I kind of just assumed like the 007 was the brand, as it were, because, I mean, there's that. I think it's in quite a few of them, but the, the bit that sticks in my mind is in Goldfinger when he's on the table and he's saying, like, you know, if you kill me, then 008 will just replace me, and that's a kind of on- recurring thing that, like, there are countless 00s hanging out there. So I've kind of always just assumed that there is a never-ending kind of chain of these agents that, for some reason, all one of the main things on the um, desired criteria on the job spec is must be called James Bond or willing to change name to James Bond. And if you've got a dead wife, that's great as well. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah. Imagine, imagine you've gone through all the, you know, I presume SAS training or whatever. You've gone to Royal Navy, you've got commander, your wife's died. And then they're like, right, final bit, final bit. Um, Well, let's just go for a drink. And you go up and you'll be like, Oh, I'll have a, uh, I'll have a Guinness please. And like, Oh, Oh dear. (laughs) Well, I'm sorry, Mr. Bond, um, and, you know, appreciate you changing your name and everything, but uh, it's not going to work out. Oh, oh, what was I supposed to order? No, no, it's just not going to work out. There's sorry, a whole mate. panel of people just shaking their heads and doing a big red X oh, on the bit of paper. Damn, damn. He has to like this very specific, awful cocktail. It is an awful cocktail, isn't it? Have you ever had one? It's terrible. Oh, yeah. I thought martini. It's delicious. Delicious. I've, I've had many in casinos trying to be James Bond, and it's absolutely disgusting. I, I bought one um, on a night out in Leeds because the person I was with specifically told me to order, um, quote, a manly drink. And I was like, what's manlier than James okay. Bond's drink? Come and on. yeah, what wasn't very manly was me being like, it's gross, I hate it. <laughs> I don't mind the olive, but... Uh, yeah, it's, it's just, it's a grim drink. I mean, to be it's fair, grim. it was a random bar in Leeds, probably not the high standards that James Bond's expecting. I, I doubt it was a Vespa martini with with all the uh, the ingredients um, Bond list. I don't think it'd be quite as expensive. Did you have caviar with it? Um, no, but I'm pretty sure it was spit in, not stirred. You know. <laughs> Right, let's close with just some kind of thoughts on James Bond's legacy and where it stands and what it might mean for the future. Now, if you'll allow me a a slight rant here, it might serve as provocation. Of course, on the surface level, this is irresistible entertainment. But I think it is important to view the series in its societal context, which I think, and I don't think this is controversial, points to Bond being the most successful and lucrative British cultural propaganda of the last 60 years. If you go back to the end of the 1950s, okay, so Britain just been humiliated over the Suez crisis, basically its last gasp as this global great power. We enter a new decade, and what then James Bond enables is the presentation of Britain as a great power by other means. So by suave, cunning, guile, high-tech gadgetry and sophistication, as opposed to like the power and the might of America. And the message of this propaganda is still the same. Britain is unquestionably a force for good in the world. Its military and intelligence capability is still capable of saving the world from the evil villains who, you know, just happen to usually be Russian or Chinese or Cuban. And it's through the British double O's license to kill, which itself is a highly morally problematic status. And while the means may sometimes be unfortunate, lots of death and destruction, the ends 
you know, being for the Queen and country, they're always unassailably good. The perfect representation of this was when it was provided by the opening ceremony of the 2012 London Olympics, when Daniel Craig's Bond and the Queen walk side by side through Buckingham Palace. The fact that it creates this implied MI6 deference and British superiority, that I find difficult. Well, I mean, yeah, it started as that propaganda but it's the same as like captain america they brought captain america back and now in the recent mcu and comics he basically hates america which is a a reaction to trump and yeah the same as the same as this this bond like kind of most the the villain in the last specter was a british agent um and it was actually mi6 himself i think the daniel craig bond films have subtly tried to portray mi6 as this rather past it chastened in light of the last 20 plus years of failures with Bond being seen as like out of shape, sluggish, past it. Probably the best self-conscious moment in the whole series arises in Goldeneye, that moment where Judy Dench's M quips to Bond, you're a sexist, misogynist dinosaur, a relic of the Cold War. It's so well observed in that way, and it's just a shame that the Brosnan films didn't then deliver on that kind of meta moment of self-awareness. And it takes until Craig's tenure for the films to start engaging with that reality that, you know, this fantasy of a gentleman spy saving the world in the name of Queen and Country is now pretty farcical and pretty past its sell-by date. You know, the James Bonds of the 21st century are far more likely to be hackers in China. I, I really don't think it's pernicious as that. I think you are reading far too much into it it is just a fun romp it it doesn't isn't an insidious thing sponsored by i mean it's it's was run by sony i'm not saying it's insidious i'm not saying it's a negative i'm just saying it is what it is well i don't i really don't think it's like extolling british virtues and i don't think it's had an effect in that sense. you don't think it's you don't think it's selling brand britain as this superior well no because the brands the brands it's selling the product placements it puts in are all basically foreign um, it only did. It only brought back Aston Martin for like kind of um, the dine of the day. Before that, it was doing German cars. He drinks Smirnoff vodka. He's drinking Heineken now. Um, the watch he wears isn't even a British watch anymore. I think it's Omega. Like all of this stuff is like he's just a global brand now. It doesn't. The fact he's got a British accent doesn't really affect anything and he's not even british but he's representing he's representing the british establishment well like by fighting against them though now like i really don't think it holds much water at all like maybe in the 60s and 70s yeah but then by the time you got to 80s where everyone's a little bit more cynical and thinking actually governments are shy it's kind of gone that's kind of gone i really don't think it is a cultural what you're saying bastion of, of like kind of pushing british values overseas i don't i don't think it's that's the case i think it's just a silly spy franchise mm. I, just to say like kind of where bond goes next like i think it we need to we need to do we, bond needs to get skiing again he needs to go skiing like when was the last time we saw him going skiing and you're talking about on his majesty's secret service that is a great ski chase um the world is not enough the world is not enough is there but that was years ago now that was like 97 um craig craig's bond has not gone skiing maybe he will in um in no time to die but if he doesn't i'll be very annoyed and the next bond the opening sequence better be set on the friggin alps um i'd also quite like to see bond not go rogue like he's gone rogue in every single film now um since die another day so do something different there bond in a situation we've not seen him in before like there was rumors when danny boyle was going to do uh, no time to die that it was going to have bond um shooting the wrong person in the opening act and being put in a russian prison um and then the first the first two thirds of it would have been him escaping this prison which 
would have been pretty ace. I'd, I mean, yeah, it could have ruined Bond. It could have it could have made it incredible. So yeah, I'd like to see him put, put in put in some sort of in close situation. Maybe do a Bond in a Die Hard situation would be kind of cool. Maybe Bond in the wilderness somewhere. Like just let's put him somewhere and really test him. I think that could be that could be an interesting way for them to go um, if, if they do want to shake it up after No Time to Die. But mainly, he needs to get his skis on. He has to get his skis on. <laughs> Got to get those skis on. Um, I think I'd quite like James Bond to go the opposite way. And I think they need to go back to the days of um, late Roger Moore. I think they should really de- they really go all in on making it really silly. Maybe do some stunt casting. Cast Jack Black, for instance, as an ageing clown James Bond who goes on a series of increasingly wacky adventures. And like, yes, James Bond's been to the moon, but could he go to Mars? Could he go... Is like, do you remember when we watched King Kong versus Godzilla and there was like a hollow earth thing going on? It's Could fine, James yeah. Bond get involved in that whole world of conspiracy theories and giant apes fighting each other in the center of the earth, possibly? Why does it need to be super duper serious? Could they just give another go at being really silly? A couple of, couple of invisible cars here and there. A couple of like, you know, yeah, I mean, we can have some skiing by all means. Happy to have some skiing. Um, but just more eye-rolling quips and um, loads of slide whistles for every effect would be great for me, I think. Get Hugh Grant in. If you want to go aging Bond. Oh, yeah. Like Hugh Grant would be, and he's he's having a renaissance as well. Oh, that's an interesting oh, yeah. way, Sam. Actually, pa- you know, Paddington Two kind of Hugh yeah, Grant levels. Hugh Grant, yeah. a bit dangerous, um, a little bit foppish. In that case, his prime. Jack Black's going to play the CIA, his CIA counterpart, Felix Leiter. Hugh Grant, yeah, Hugh Grant Hello. versus Jack Black. Hello, casting. This is this is getting spicy now in the Hollow mm. Earth for some yeah, reason. In Hollow Earth, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I think they need to start drawing on some of the real life bomb bones that there are around now. So, like the Elon Musk. Mm. Mark Zuckerberg, Jeff Bezos. Start drawing on them for inspiration. Yeah, that's that's one of the things we talk about legacy there. Has has one of the legacies of Bond been that we've actually now got these these villains that are basically modeling themselves on they even dress yeah. the same, don't they? They even dress similarly and talk similarly. So maybe that is that's a unforeseen consequence of James Bond. We've they've they've actually seen that as an inspiration of gone, you know what? I'm going to go into space. I'm going to build my own rockets for some nefarious reason. Wouldn't, I mean, wouldn't that be amazing if at some point in the near future we hear about Jeff Bezos' mysterious accident? In yeah, it just gets eaten by another. Yeah. Signs clearly point to there being a James Bond-type experience on his, aboard one of his fucking stupid Amazon space rockets. But maybe that's it. Documentary James Bond about taking down Bezos and Zuckerberg and Musk. Also, Musk's just going to go, he's broken up with Grimes, so he's going to be on a bad run right now. That's That's the start of Elon Musk's descent. Yeah, that that could be it. This could be the beginning. Mm. Well, then we have Elon Musk as the villain, hollowing out Earth. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much indeed for listening to us chat on about James Bond uh, for this special episode. It's thoroughly enjoyable. Thank you both. We'll be back uh, in a couple of weeks' time to give you our full thoughts on No Time to Die. Very excited. So if this wasn't enough James Bond for you, <laughs> don't worry. Coming. The next episode will have more James Bond. And the kind of what else we'll be watching this week will be like, right, has anyone heard about this film called Octopussy? Yeah, I'm gonna watch the original Casino Royale. Nice, good idea. Yeah. See what David Niven can offer. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Sam. Speak to you in a couple of weeks' time. Speak to you then. Bye. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Creaky Chair Film Podcast. If you like what you heard, it would mean the world to us if you told someone about the show.
Tell them about it even if you hated it. Or even if you just felt really apathetic about it. Yeah, there's no such thing as bad press. If you can leave us a review on wherever you're listening, that'd be amazing. And don't forget, we're on all of the social media things. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, MySpace, Bebo, MSN Messenger. And that's at Creaky Chair Pod on Instagram and at Creaky Chair on Twitter. And if you search Creaky Chair Film Podcast on Facebook, you'll find us there too. You can even email us at creakychairfilmpodcast at gmail.com if you want to send us your essay about how much we were well out of order with the ice road.